You know, it's an interesting thing about the stories that we find ourselves in. Some days we just want to quit. Anyone? Anyone with me on that one? You find yourselves and you're like, if this is a story and I have the chance to get off this ride, I'm out of here. It reminds me of a, a scene in one of my favorite stories, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and in the movie, The Two Towers, Sam and Frodo, uh, formatting is a little bit different on uh, this computer than on mine. Sam and Frodo, they're in the town of Osgiliath and everything is going really badly. There's ring rakes out there. Frodo has just turned on Sam and Gollum is with them and that just makes everything crazy. And, and poor Frodo, he says, I can't do this, Sam. I can't. And, and Sam responds, he says, I know, Mr. Frodo, we aren't even supposed to be here. He says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? You guys feel like that some days? Like, how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories, they had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in the world and it's worth fighting for. Thank you, my friend Sam Gamgee, Peter Jackson, and J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> so uh, this morning, we're going to be in Philippians 4, and we are going to conclude this amazing letter that Paul has written to this church. We're in a series called The Church Imitating Christ Together, and we're going through <laughs> at almost breakneck speed through Paul's letters to the churches because the goal is just to give us picture after picture after picture of who we are as the church and what we're called to do. Or rather, to um, use the acting analogy, we are looking at a script that we, as modern-day performers, are to interpret creatively and faithfully in our current context. We are reading ancient words, and it's our task as Jesus followers now to figure out what does a faithful gospel performance look like on the corner of 124th and Burnside in the year 2022. And it's not always easy and it's not always apparent, but this, these are words for us to live out. And, and the author of, of Philippians, Paul, he, he writes this joy-filled letter from prison. He's in chains, um, likely been in custody for years at this point, kept from going out there to tell people out there about Jesus. And yet he recognizes that though he is trapped, the word of God continues to go out. And through his letters now, Paul continues his ministry. And this church he's writing to, well, their story's not going so great either. Uh, the, the messenger they sent carrying money to bless Paul while in prison, well, he got super sick. He almost died. And there's divisions and fighting within their church. And Paul says, you guys have, have suffered some of the same things that I did. So uh, we... We're interpolating from that that perhaps some of them have been arrested or, or put in prison themselves. Um, they're poor. Life's not great for the church at Philippi, and yet they're the recipients of this joy-filled letter. Paul wants to change the way that they look at their story. 
and change the way that they respond to it. So we begin in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Lisa, last week, uh, took us through chapter 3. And in this way, Paul is just referencing what he said uh, last week in chapter 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, all are, are examples or models of this Jesus life. And Paul says, stand firm in the Lord the way that we are. And in chapter 3, Paul gives them a couple clues as to what that life looks like. It looks like a life that is all about knowing Jesus more. It's a life that says, forget what, what came in my past. Everything's about the future. God is calling us upward in Christ Jesus. And I, like an athlete, I am just pushing onwards towards that finish line. Paul, in, in a few verses later, he says, let us live up to the things that we have already attained. He says, do you see what God has done for us? Let's live like that's true. And then he says, and our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's like, it's not about us being Romans anymore. It's not about us being Americans or Chinese or, or Russians. Like, I don't care who you are, what tribe you came from. If you are a Jesus follower, the most important thing about you is that you are in Jesus. That's where our citizenship is. That is, that is our fundamental identity. Live like that. Follow my example. And so Paul, here, just in the first verse, he says, stand firm in the Lord by, by following my example in this way. Now, chapter 4 is a conclusion to a letter. Paul's going to be hopping on to, from, from one point to a next. So full disclosure here, this will be a disjointed sermon because it's kind of a disjointed text. So along the way, I'm going to just stop and say, like, here's a way to respond. Here's a way to respond. Here's a way to respond. And if any of those are striking home... Um, Praise God for the Holy Spirit, because he does that. That's not me. Uh, just grab onto that. Like, if something sticks in your mind, just good enough, all right? <laughs> Take it, and, and you can go. Uh, but please don't disturb the people next to you as you do on your way out. Uh, and I'll try to summarize at, at the end. But stand firm in the Lord by following Paul's example. Now he goes on. He says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce those names. That's how I run. Uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. These are, these are women he's talking to. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul's got guts. What can I say? In, in an open letter, this is going to be read to the entire church. He singles out two women by name and saying, you and you, figure it out. But it, it's actually something he's been preparing them to hear. So again, back in chapter 2, Paul says, therefore, to the whole church he's talking, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with King Jesus, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's uh, any common sharing in the spirit or any tenderness or compassion, the answer would be yes to all of those. Well, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Same word. He's been preparing them for this. See, he, Paul continues, he says, yes, and I ask you, my, my true companion or, or syzygous, maybe this, we don't know who this person is exactly, but Paul says, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, 
along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. All right, these are not like just two bickering, immature women in this church. Like these, these ladies are gold. They're solid. Paul's like, they're my coworkers in the gospel. They have labored alongside me. These are my partners in the faith and their names are written in the book of life. So, so he holds them in, in very high esteem and yet there's something going on between the two of them that is only, not only not good for them, it's not good for the church. Christ died to make us one. This needs reconciliation. This needs to get figured out. And so I think Paul is both simultaneously like honoring them and bringing it before the entire church that this conflict that is occurring needs to get hammered out. And again, like, you know, essentially he says, stand firm in the Lord by doing the hard work of reconciling. This is what we are to do as Christians all the time because Christ died to make us one. In my email to you about Communion Sunday, I threw this tagline, and it's a little bit weird maybe, but I said, if there's a problem between you and someone else, get it figured out or don't take communion this morning because unity matters. Not just unity with God, but unity with one another. All of us come to God in the person of Jesus Christ. We are, we are, one, uh, we are one body with him. And so when we take communion, we need to make sure that, that we are expressing that oneness well. I'm a father of small children. They have a magic word. Do you guys know what magic word we tell kids to say? Please, yeah. Yeah, please does wonders. All right, adults, I have, a, I have two magic words for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, there's some others. There's lots of others that make a big difference as well, but, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it takes. I'm sorry. Uh, other times, more is needed. Uh, sometimes we actually uh, run into situations that are so complicated that we don't know how to figure this out. I don't know if you guys have run into those too. Sometimes we need help. So Paul, Paul sends a helper to these mature, wise, God-fearing, Jesus-loving women and saying, help them out for the sake of the entire church. So, so whether that is a, a loyal friend, <laughs> whether that is, that is a, um, a, a leader in your local church, whether that is a Christian counselor or uh, peacemaking ministries, like we need help figuring things out. And it matters. It matters to Jesus and it should matter to us. Now, Paul leapfrogs onto the next thing. <laughs> now rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness or your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's at hand. He's coming back soon. Don't be anxious about anything. All right, I'm going to read that one again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is so cool. This is so cool. I'll get to that in a second. So the peace of God, it will transcend or surpass your understanding. Uh, this is how I look at the situation. And yet somehow when I come to God in prayer with thanksgiving, my anxieties and my concerns are just kind of overwhelmed. 
by the peace of God. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to. It's the same word Paul used back in chapter 3 when he says, when I look at everything that I used to hold dear and valuable in my life, I count it all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like all of this stuff has just been overtaken and run over by something so much bigger and better. And that's what Paul says God will do with our anxieties and our worries and our concerns. And now, (laughs) I'm neither a mental health professional nor the son of one, so uh, let us leave aside for the moment the fact that some people have biological things going on in their body and brain that cause them to experience anxiety. I'm not going to touch that. But here's what Paul says to do, no matter where you are. He says, in whatever situation, take it to God. Thank God. Have thanksgiving. Say thank you for what he's done in anticipation of what he's going to do. And then tell God, God, you need to fix this. God, this isn't okay. Make your prayers and your requests and your petitions. It's a big like, help God, please now. And as we, as we take this before the Lord, he's going to figure it out. He's going to help us. And then the story that always comes to mind is from The Hiding Place. It's by a lady named Corrie Ten Boom. She lived back in World War II, and her and her family were responsible for running an underground a Jewish smuggling operation where they took Jews who were going to be killed by the Nazis, and they, they found safe places for them to go and live uh, secretively. Eventually, they were caught, and her and her sister were sent to like the women's concentration camp that was really bad. Is it Ravensbrook? I, okay, thank you. Thank you. My history was a little bit shallow this morning. I can't remember. Um, and while they're there, they're in the, the barracks, and, and it's a terrible place to be. There's just lice and bed bugs. Literally, you just watch them just jumping off the mattresses. It's, it's horrendous. It's a horrendous situation. And yet her sister, darn her, said, we should thank God for these bugs. And Corey went, sister, you're crazy. And she says, well, we're told to give thanks in all circumstances and for all things. So I'm going to thank God for the bugs. Corey was as embittered by that comment as you and I would be. Uh, And yet something amazing occurred. As time moved on, they began to realize that they had this amazing opportunity to, for the gospel, there in this concentration camp. In the back of the barracks, they're having conversations with the women there, holding Bible studies, and they were never interrupted by the guards. The, The study never got interrupted, and they finally realized the reason is because of those stupid bugs. Because no right-minded Nazi guard will set foot in those barracks or you're going to be infested. And so they had the place to themselves. And it's a reminder for me every time I'm thinking, God, I don't think I have something to thank you for. It's like, oh, wait, people have been in far worse situations than I have been. And the testimony of Christians throughout the ages is that there's always a reason to thank God. It could be much worse. So we stand firm, Paul says, in the Lord by rejoicing and by thanking and by praying always, always. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. For you Bible nerds, I think there's some really cool uh, connections to the book of Numbers. Love to dive into that with you later, uh, but we'll pass by right now. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Take your minds out of the gutter and the filth, and rather set your minds on things worth thinking about. Change the way you think. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. Change the way you behave. And the God of peace will be with you. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. And the God of peace will be with you. Welcome to Philippians. Paul likes putting things in tension over and over and over again. He just said that God does a work. When we come to God in prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, God will guard us with his peace. His peace will guard our hearts and minds. This is a work of God. Oh, now you change the way you think. You change the way you act, and God's peace will be with you. So this is our work. We have something to do as well. And they're just right next to each other because both are true, simultaneously and in tension with one another. God has worked, and we work as well. And so we stand firm in the Lord when we know personally and practically and prayerfully the peace of God. Now, now here's just, you know, a, a personal story. I tend not to be an anxious person. Uh, I tend not to be a worrier. I generally don't have a problem sleeping at night. And yet over the last couple of years here at Family of Grace, for some unknown reason that I can't figure out, sometimes I am just gripped by anxiety and I don't know what to do or how to handle it. Until I finally just like break and tell my wife, I need to go on a walk. I'll be back in a while. And I go and just take it to God. And so for some reason, I don't know how or why. I, don't, I can't explain it. I can just say, hey, this works. Um, as I bring my life and the church into the presence of God, he changes the way that I'm thinking. He changes the way that I'm feeling. And even when nothing about the situations that are producing the anxiety have changed, I find peace. So I'm not an expert in anxiety, uh, and I'm not someone who's dealt with this chronically, but I can tell you guys, this has worked for me. So I can commend it. Now Paul's going to talk about the, the gift that the Philippian church sent him. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or as the NIV says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's an amazing, earth-shattering truth that deserves to be on those inspirational posters that you all have all seen. But what it does not mean is that you can be on the Portland Trailblazers. I'm sorry, because I can do all things through God who gives me strength. And it does not mean that you will one day own your own Fortune 500 company because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's not what Paul's talking about. Uh, sorry, 
<laughs> a sigh for all the times I've seen this verse really, really misused. What Paul's talking about, this, this is the crazy thing that you can accomplish through him who gives you strength. You can be content no matter the circumstances, whether you're flying high or whether just getting by. It does not matter. You can be content because you know that God is going to take care of you. He's the one who gives you strength. So we stand firm in the Lord by following Paul's example of trusting in God, no matter what, no matter what. And Paul continues, he says, yeah, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, that's where Philippi is located in ancient Greece, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. That you would bear fruit is the word he uses. He says, I, like, I love it. Paul's like, you've given me a gift, but really the thing that I'm considering is what is good for you. And what's good for you is that when Jesus shows up on the day of Christ, more will be accounted credit to you. You have done righteous deeds and God will see it and God will reward it. He's thinking about their own interests here. And he says, now I've I've received full payment and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent for they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He's like, "God, God sees what you've done and God says, that's good. That's good. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of you. Just like Jesus promised, God takes care of those silly birds outside. God takes care of that, the silly dandelions that grow up in your yard this time of year. God will take care of you. You don't need to worry. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we can stand firm in the Lord by trusting in God and being generous. We always can give something because someone always has our back. Now greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to the Caesar's household. So from one church to another, big hi. All right. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And as he did in, in the, the book, letter to the Ephesian church, so here... Paul begins with grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he ends with peace from God our Father and grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, like I said, kind of disjointed, addressing a number of topics, but here's my like summary sentence. Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord by imitating his attitudes and actions as they joyfully, faithfully, and generously live together as those who have trusted in Jesus it's a mouthful, I know. So stand firm in the Lord. There you go. <laughs> or, or, or to put a different spin on it. May we live as if Jesus makes all the difference in the world. May our life together look as if, if this guy named Jesus just changes everything for us. 
He changes the way that we think. He changes the way that we act. He changes the way that we, we think about money and we use money. He changes the way that we interact with one another and we're willing to reconcile with one another. Let Jesus change everything. Let him make all the difference in the world. So I have a, a couple ideas for maybe what that looks like. And again, I'm kind of shotgun approach this morning. We're hitting the number one. So if, if one of these is striking home with you, just take that. First of all, imitate those who look like Jesus. If you see someone and you're like, they remind me <laughs> of someone named Jesus, just do what they do. Pattern your lives after them. All right, look, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Do what you see him doing. Trusting God in every circumstance. Believing God's good promises. Look at Paul. He's a great example. Or maybe look at your leaders. I know with, with fear and trepidation and humility, I have to say, Sterling and my number one job here is to try to live lives before you all worthy of imitation. And I'm not going to do it perfectly. He's not going to do it perfectly. Like, we need Jesus, and maybe we can show you what repentance looks like when we screw up. But we really are all about this guy named Jesus. And so if you just need an idea of what this looks like, watch us. And pray for us. <laughs> Next, be reconciled to one another. I read this amazing story about a missionary who was working with a, an African tribe, the Maasai. They're cattle herders. Cattle is life to them. Everything they eat comes from cows. Like this is value and wealth and, and culture. And so even more foundational than cows, the grass is sacred in their culture because that's where life comes. That's what the cows eat. And so when a tribe, uh, a local village, all accepted Jesus Christ, it's time to take communion and the missionary shows up and he begins by reaching down and grabbing this plot of grass and handing it to the first Maasai person. This is a sacred exchange, which means that we, we are one. We all, we all come from the ground. I'm, I'm going to screw up the cultural initiative. But like, if you're a Maasai person, you don't take that if you have any beef with a person who's handing it to you. And, and then that Maasai person then takes it into the village. And over the next hour or two, that piece of grass is passed between every single person in the village, signifying we are at one. And if any one person in the village doesn't take it, then the whole village doesn't take communion because we are not at one with one another. It matters, oneness. Now, sometimes that just means I'm sorry. Sometimes that honestly it just means overlook that minor offense. Like it was not that big of a deal. And sometimes this requires discernment because sometimes life is really, really complicated and we're not sure how to go. And maybe you need help. Uh, a resource I would commend is uh, RW360, Relational Wisdom 360. Uh, if you've heard of Peacemaker Ministries and Ken Sandy, uh, he started working, helping people figure out conflict and then realized, you know, we could stave off a lot of this if we taught people just how to get along with one another. And so then he started RW360. Uh, but it's just a great ministry looking at, here's how Jesus has told us to engage with conflict well. But be one with one another. Unity matters. And so when we take communion today, not only you know, confess your sins to, to God, but also one to another. Let's be right with one another. Let us rejoice in Jesus no matter the circumstances. I, I love it. Uh, our joy in Jesus has nothing to do with being happy. 
It's not contingent upon our circumstances. It's rooted in the cross, what Jesus did in dying and saving us and redeeming us from sin and from death. Even though we may presently feel sad, we can always be joyful. Thank you, Adventures in Odyssey growing up, if any of you guys know. I'm all, I almost had that one memorized. So, but, but it's, it's that idea. The, no matter, like the worse the world gets, the better the good news of Jesus becomes. All right, the, the worse our circumstances get. We're sick. Jesus is a healer. People are dying. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The world is at war. Jesus is bringing true justice. And one day, wars will cease when he shows up. We always have cause for rejoicing in Jesus, no matter what. And let's pray all the time. Thank you to those of you who joined us this morning. Let us experience the peace of God. And let us change the ways we think and act to experience God's peace. Some of you deal with more stress than you should, uh, and I'm not pointing any fingers, um, <clears throat> because you're watching the news, like entertainment, and you're exposed to the world's problems about which you have no control and no ability to change. Maybe we need to discern how we engage with everything that's broken in the world. Some of us need to get our minds out of other gutters and change what we watch and the stuff that we focus on. And renew our minds by focusing on what is true and noble and, and commendable. Like, that's a good rule of thumb. Would you suggest this to your grandma or to your children? And if not, then wait, is this something that I should be thinking about? And let us be generous and grateful because God will take care of our needs. He's provided us enough. We always have something that we can give and whether that's here to the local ministry at Family of Grace or to other amazing things that are happening in the city of Portland with fellow Jesus followers or overseas or just to your neighbor who's in trouble, we always have something that we can give because God is good. So in all things, in all different ways, let us live as if Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Because we're following a long line of people like Paul who have. This is impossible to see, but there's small, tiny letters on that. <laughs> um, and the reason it's, I mean, it's hard to read even on a, a clear computer screen. It's a letter from a guy named John Stamm to um, the representative at the China, China Inland Mission. See, John and his wife, Betty, they were missionaries in China in the early 1930s during the Cultural Revolution when the Communist Party was ascending and all of a sudden um, elements within the Chinese community are turning against any foreigner who is there, they want them out, and missionaries are particularly bad. So I, I made it clearer. Here we go. This is what it says. Dear brethren, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists in the city of Singta. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. All our possessions and stores are in their hands. But we praise God for peace in our hearts and a meal tonight. God grants you wisdom in what you do, and us, fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. Things happened so quickly this morning. They were in the city just a few hours ahead of the ever-present rumors uh, really became re alarming, so that we could not prepare to leave in time. We were just too late. The Lord bless and guide you. And as for us, May God be glorified, whether by life or by death, in him.
John Stamp. A few days later, John and his wife, Betty, were taken up on a hill and beheaded, and their bodies were left there. Whether by life or death, may God be glorified. In an amazing turn of events, their three-month-old baby daughter was missed and survived two days in an abandoned house where they were kept the night before, and a Chinese friend found the little girl and brought her out to safety, and she was good. It was like they were part of a story. And they wanted out. You know, folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Another missionary who was uh, killed around the same time, um, a, a poem was written in his honor. And the the Stams sent this to some of their family and said, this perfectly expresses our feelings right now. Part of it goes like this. Afraid? (laughs) Of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life cannot. Baptize with blood a stony plot till souls shall blossom from the spot. Afraid of that? And just as Paul's imprisonment led many brothers and sisters to have boldness to speak the gospel without fear, the Stam's death led to hundreds and hundreds of missionaries from their alma mater, Moody and Wheaton, heading out to the field to continue to spread the message of Jesus without fear. May we also live as if Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray. God, you know your heart. You know our heart. We long to love you like that. And God, some of us are just terrified. Terrified that you might ask something uh, that big of us. We can't do it without you. Father, I just pray that whatever circumstances our lives may lead, that you would grant us strength in that moment to be faithful to your son, to stand firm in the Lord. And God, I thank you that right now we're just not there. I'm so, so glad um, to live in a a city at peace where we can gather openly and freely and and profess your son's name without fear of retribution or violence or, or danger. And yet, and yet, God, would you grant us strength to live faithfully in our lives this day? Uh, until the end, until the return of your son. In his name we pray, amen.